0: Listener
1: Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years, covering the marketing, media, agency, and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, we all know about A B testing, particularly for digital media campaigns and customer communications along with this idea of personalization that's nearly hit market ubiquity. But there's some new science starting to hit the straps in this market, known as experimentation, which essentially advances some of the early principles of A-B testing by a factor of 10 and is applied to not just media, but company websites, e-commerce, call centers, and even retail bricks and mortar stores. Now, interestingly, much of what we now know as experimentation was born out of former U.S. President Barack Obama's first election campaign in 2008. Some very clever people working on Obama's election fundraising worked out that a picture of Obama with his family was driving more donations than Obama with some American voters in the background. From that election campaign, as we'll hear shortly, experimentation startup Optimizely was formed and pretty much created a new category. Now, there's clearly something going on around experimentation because in the past year, Google has come from nowhere to now be the biggest player in experimentation tech, overtaking Adobe and one of the pioneers, as we just mentioned, Optimizely. But what the hell is experimentation and how are companies using it? On the mics today is the product manager for growth and optimization at Coles, Fallon Lowe, and Nima Yassini, a partner at Deloitte, which a few months ago acquired his experimentation firm, New Republic. Deloitte has just completed a study of 250 companies on the state of experimentation in Australia, and it's uncovered some compelling trends that have emerged in the past couple of years. Google's arrival at the top of the experimentation software charts, which Nima is not convinced is all good, is one significant development. But there's a bunch more, including a check on the raging personalization mantra. So, to unpack what's happening at a market level and how Coles is applying experimentation to its online shopping site and beyond... Let's get to Felon and Nima. So Nima, to you first, for the very simple among us, uh, which includes me, by the way, how about you give us a fast history lesson on what the hell experimentation is, how it's evolved, and what companies are doing with the sorts of results, what sort of results they're getting. Maybe there's some benchmark use cases there too, Nima, but welcome, and let's talk experimentation.
2: Thanks, Paul, for having me on first. I just want to say a long-time listener, first-time caller, excited to be on. So let's go back to the first test that was ever run, Google you know, the 10 listings per page, first experiment ever run. They want to figure out, should we show more results or less results? So Google ran an A-B test to figure out how many results to show. So that was the beginning, right? Then you had a whole bunch of companies launched, like Maximizer. And then in 2008, two guys, Pete Coombs and Dan Stroker, ran an experiment for the Obama campaign to raise funds for his, I guess, presidency. And they ran a very simple test. They put an image of Obama you know, staring into the future with his people behind him, the American people behind him. And I had another image of Obama with his kids, you know, all around him and his wife. And they put those two creatives up and they found that the, the shot of Obama with the family, 63% uplift, more people preferred that, more people donated, and they raised $63 million. So these two lads went, I think we've got a business here. They then came together and formed the company known as Optimizely. So Optimizely created the category that we call experimentation a b testing was around but they coined the concept of experimentation and then they coined this concept of developing a culture of experimentation and they invested heavily in bringing that story to market and get organizations to buy into it little did they know that they actually created a massive change within the online world this coincided with the same time where media costs are going up so Google AdWords and that cost per click is going through the roof more and more people and Google also started semi-exposing its algorithm to say your click-through rate multiplied by your relevancy score, conversion rate, equals your position in our Google AdWords. So all of a sudden these marketers are going, wait a minute, so if I can just increase my conversion, which means relevancy for you, then I can pay less for my clicks. Brilliant! All of a sudden, the media guys attached. You started seeing landing pages come up, you started seeing people using A-B testing on landing pages. And Optimizely was there to kind of build that category, right? What then happened was these whole bunch of people who are media-led are getting all these conversions occurring. They're driving the cost per click down. Then there's a group of people over here doing big enterprise websites going or e-commerce managers going, how can I use some of that stuff in what I'm doing here? And so these guys started picking up and doing experimentation and started. And so the reason why you'll see the difference this deviation from A-B testing to experimentation is that... An A-B test is trying to figure out if B is better than A, whereas experimentation is broader. It's trying to understand behavior. It's trying to look at things that's beyond conversion. Like if I reduce exit rates, increase time on site, these are metrics that have nothing to do with conversion. The the, the outcome might be a conversion, but they're metrics that are important to big enterprise-style complex journeys, right? And so that is where experimentation grew, the culture grew. Optimizely was the I guess the person who made the concept famous and invested it into it, and so where you see it going today is more and more organisations are um, using experimentation not for conversion but to better understand customer experience, to look at how they can operationally reduce the cost of you know membership or customer uh, maintenance. So, such as you know reducing call centre costs, getting customers to be more self-service. So that's where it's kind of grown to, and that, and the industry that we live in today. Um, comes about from the investment that Optimizely made in the category um, some ten years ago.
1: Great answer. Now I'm far better informed, so thank you. But just to be clear, then experimentation is not A/B testing anymore, right? It's it's changed, and the things, the use cases you talk about. You said call center, so it's not all about a digital execution or a digital world.
2: Put it this way: Domino's in the old days, you know, they had this big consulting firm, and said, "What business are you in?" They said, "We make pizza pies," and they said, "No, no, no, you're in the time business." Because when a parent gets home, they've got 30 minutes to feed the kids. You are in the time business. And so they came out with 30 minutes or your pizza is free, right? Same thing. A-B testing is an eventuation. It's an outcome. It's a method, right? But fundamentally, what you're trying to understand is why are customers behaving the way they do? What is it that I'm doing that's restricting them to do the actions that they need to do? Or how can I better serve these customers? And how can I help them better serve? So an A-B test is is what you do. But the goal is not a conversion goal. The goal is a learning goal. And so when you think about experimentation as evoked, because it's gone like this, right? The evolution of the word is this. It started A-B testing. Then it went to conversion rate optimization, lovingly known as CRO. In between, there was test and learn. And then it evolved to experimentation. That's the evolution of the word. Similar to, you know, we used to talk about um, global warming and then we said climate change. And then all of a sudden, everyone started to go, oh, yeah, it's raining in summer, climate change. Same thing. The words evolved and our understanding of the way we, Uh, compartmentalize that word has evolved as well. So when we talk about experimentation, we're not talking about a conversion outcome, which is the biggest bugbear with the category because everyone's like, I invested in conversion rate optimization and my conversions didn't really lift. But have you also considered the fact that we stopped you implementing something that could have cost you a lot of money and a lot of customer dissatisfaction? And that's why the word evolved into experimentation because it's more than just a sales event occurring. Sometimes it's about loss events not occurring. Sometimes it's about a conversion event. Sometimes it's about how do I get members to, to manage themselves, better self-service themselves. Or sometimes it's about, hey, I want to add a new feature like chat. We've done this test a lot. We want to add chat. To add a chat feature can cost you up to half a million dollars in training, implementation, integration, and so forth, right? So before you go spend that half a million dollars, let's go test whether the customers actually will click on that little chat icon, which is a complete waste of your time. So sometimes it's just about R&D and research. So you can see the word... And the way we use it has kind of evolved to spread across many things. And it's interesting. And I, know, I don't know if um, Fallon's going to have an antidote to this, but the challenge that we face is I walk into a company and they're like, our sales have dropped. And you're like, come on, we're better than this. <laughs> There's so many other ways you can use this. But we are where we are. And, you know, just like Optimizely made famous, the red button versus the blue button and, you know, Travelocity or Travel.com have this huge growth in conversions. It's a rod for our back. It sells the benefits, but at the same time, it's a painful process that we have to educate people out of.
1: And you've just done a, a big report on all this and on the state of the nation with experimentation, which we'll get to shortly. But yep. give us a couple of standout examples in your long career, Nima, around the good, bad, and the ugly. So what's a standout, really great example or a couple of examples of experimentation that I got a you think one. you got a golden one? Let's go.
2: Okay. So- Company, I'm not going to say names here, but company has a massive call center. The call center's function is to generate leads to pass on to the sales guys. They sell um, legal services to small businesses, right? Very heavy on Google. They spend close to uh, a million, if not more, per month on Google, right? Massive spender. And our job was to come in and help that phone ring. We need you to pick up the phone and call the call center so they could look at you as a hot prospect. I had a strategist who came and said, I want to put a green dot next to the phone number and i'm like why And she's like it was very tactical the way she came about it but she's like i just have this hunch i want to try it i was like okay give it a go so she put a green dot next to a phone number one three hundred da, 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 green dot sales went up 13 percent just from a green dot you know why where else on the internet do you see a green dot you got a red dot in the top left hand corner of your screen what's that telling you
1: i'm recording right yeah
2: Recording, if you see a green dot on Facebook or on something else, what's that green next to someone's face? What's that green dot tell you?
1: Yeah, Felon, you're smart. (laughs) Tell us.
2: (laughs) Not that you're smart, Felon. I'm not laughing at that. You are smart.
0: (laughs) That you're alive, that somebody's available waiting for you. Right? Green dot.
2: Bang. Bang. 13% uplift. Someone's on the other side of that phone call to take my call. I need to talk to someone now. Green dot. If we could only just green dot the world, works with Deloitte as well.
1: And so you experimented. So in that case, it's a good example. And you experimented with that first and said, hmm, that increases, and then you roll it out across all the activities.
2: Then we roll it out. So we go, hey, that really worked. Let's roll it out, right? There are events, however, where you run an experiment to learn, and then once you get that knowledge, you go, okay, where does that guide my next experiment? And I always teach our strategists this, is don't look at every experiment to be win-lose, implement Sometimes it's about winning so you can understand what customers are looking for. So then you can design the right experience. So for example, if I want to know on a comparison table what to show you, right, I will bury all of the content within accordions so that you have to click on it and open it. Now, if there's five accordions, I can see which accordion you opened first, second, fourth, third, which then tells me the order in which you want to compare products on. Once I've got that insight, I now will design the experience for comparison. Does that make sense? Yes. Sometimes the test is to collect data to deliver the best possible experience. Otherwise, you, sometimes it's guessing. Young lady in the grey.
1: felon. you got some thoughts there.
0: I feel like there's a couple of things that I kind of wanted to add in. And I think um, I'm probably calling Nima out on this, but he's mentioned a couple of things. Intuition. I think that's one of the things that we really want to start changing from. And that's something that I think experimentation really starts to shift change. It's no longer about making decisions based on in- intuition. It's about making decisions based on knowledge and data. And so Nema's talking about that green dot and um, his strategist had a hunch, but his strategist was leveraging some known behavior, pulling into something that Potentially is used in a different category, trying to evoke a change and trying to see if that can in turn meet that business objective and what they're trying to achieve um, from a business point of view and then testing it. And I think that, to me, is is where we need to move towards. And I think that's what Nima's is talking about, where it's not just about driving conversion. It's about understanding what are you trying to achieve? What is the customer problem? And then what are the different ways that you can navigate through testing these different ideas to ladder up to the preferred experience, the best outcome for both customer and business? And then I was I leading into but something. at the same time complimented. <gasps> no, don't, that's how I was just... Or
2: I should be like, that's
0: amazing, no, yes. I just did what Paul did. I was like, I was on a good track and then I decided I was going to validate oh, that. I'm sorry,
2: I should have said anything. Yeah, said yeah, it.
1: that's why you need your pen. I was going to riff, so you'll, it'll come back to you when I riff, because I was going to say, the thing there though, uh, Fallon, I guess is with experimentation, is that you can test intuition. So rather than go with intuition and go, it works, can you not, I've got a hunch, you test it and if the testing pops up, because yeah. in my world, in journalism, it's very intuitive and I would love some testing on a bunch of things. That would save me lots of grief. But I guess the point here is that sometimes someone somewhere had the original idea for the green dot. That came from somewhere that wasn't proven before. So they tried something or whatever we learned, it happened without any data. So I guess the other side of this is that you can test intuition if it needs to be. I don't know how often that happens.
2: Look, the fact is sometimes it's intuition that guides to a test. Sometimes it's data. Sometimes it's observation, qualitative research. But the point is it's a melting pot. All of these methods are just ways of finding tests. Some methods are better than others, but fundamentally they're all the one thing I would say is if you always use intuition or gut feel, you will run out of test ideas at one point. You just you just do. And you all and it's also like you're shooting in a dark room. Like you don't know what your target is. You're just kind of looking for outcomes and you're shooting in the dark. So Every one of these has a place. It's just about understanding what each of these tools do and when you should use them and why you should use them and what order you should use them. But there's never a bad, like it's like anything, there's never a bad idea and great ideas can come from anywhere. So you should be open to to them. And data fundamentally will prove or disprove. It isn't like you're going to do it. You're just going to test it.
0: Having an idea based on intuition is great. There's probably a lot of factors that drive to it. But I think the most exciting thing is not making a full-out decision based on that intuition. It's testing it to see whether your intuition stacks up and whether the data aligns to that. So before you jump straight into the deep end based on this intuition, can you gather the right level of data that backs up that and potentially even challenges it? So I think that's where experimentation really comes into its own.
1: Really interesting stuff in around intuition, uh, Nima, but just give us another benchmark use case that you've seen that really stands out as of how experimentation, when it's deployed.
2: I'll give you one that's got nothing to do with sales, right? So had a client who is an insurance company. COVID hits, members are smashing the phones, going, hey, my premiums and all that kind of stuff, and what does it mean? Am I insured and so forth? So they're getting smashed. Call center can't handle the calls. Call rates are going up kind of like poor Alan Joyce in his call center at the moment. Um, I was
1: going to say, hello, Qantas.
2: Hello, Qantas. Poor guy. I'd hate to be the guy who manages the call center at Qantas right now. I mean, mm. God, his ass must be on fire, right? So anyway, so they're getting smashed with calls. And so they came to us with this problem around you know, how do we get people to be a little bit more self directive? So we took the voice analytics. Can you believe it? it's voice analytics? So this company takes all the calls, breaks those calls out into subject matter And then we said to them, tell us if on the phone call if they say on this page on your website and I'm trying to blah, blah, blah. So we got all this data back, what page they were on, what was the subject matter they talked about. And then all we started to do was integrate chat into those pages and then on the chat add an FAQ. So if the chat agent's not available, the FAQ would pop up. And the subject matter was aligned to what the data had told us, the subjects that they predominantly would talk about, Right. Close to 60 to 70% of the calls that go into a call center happens on the website, and usually they can manage it themselves. They just don't know what page to go to on the website, mm. right? So all we did was we created those links in the FAQ that align with the subject that they usually will call on on that page and then just popped up a chat icon to say, hey, you know, need help, chat to one of our chat agents or you know, use our FAQs. We reduced call rates by about 7%, which is massive at the time when they were getting slammed. So that meant the, the impact on calls and, and time on call reduced as well. So that's got nothing to do with sales. It's got to do with you know, customer satisfaction, NPS, and customer management, helping customers to be a little bit more self-directive and self-managing uh, as well, and also have an operational effect on the business.
1: It's interesting. Now We had um, Adam Ballasty, the CMO at Domino's, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about you know, the intricacies, the delicacy of a slight tweak on their homepage, on Domino's homepage, can have an impact of 2% on volume and at the volumes that Domino's is working on, it's massive, right? So I guess this is the sorts of things that companies are increasingly being across and doing.
2: Yeah. And I think the, the catch line that we want to kind of coin is the days of the silver bullets are gone. Those big techs that deliver these massive outcomes are gone. It's the world of death by a thousand cuts. We will win this war through incremental gains across the experiences that we own. And that's, this is where I wanna I wanna try and get marketers headspace to is within the asset that you have, right, there is untapped oil pockets. If you can just untap those, you're looking at millions of dollars of gains or millions of dollars in cost efficiencies that you could find. But it's just understanding how to use this properly.
0: So Nima, something interesting that builds on what you're talking about is of course the core objective of our team is supporting the calls Online experience and trying to drive an increase in end state, an increase in checkouts, and therefore an increase in revenue. But we're lucky enough to be able to work side by side with our analytics team who are constantly reporting on the product itself and and trying to understand what the customers are doing and, and why, so the insights around that. And we were shared this interesting piece of data that said to us, customers who land on the site... They have two different flows. The first one, probably the most self-explanatory one, is customer lands on the Coles Online website. They start shopping around, building their basket, and then they jump into um, selecting their delivery slot, so their preferred delivery slot, and then they go to checkout. So that's quite a simplistic journey, and that's what a cohort of customers do. But what we didn't know was there's this other cohort of customers that land up um, starting, so landing on Coles Online, and before they start building their basket, they actually select their slot up front. So they make the a delivery decision. slot first. Yeah. So they make this decision, right. an active decision to actually go in, select their delivery slot. And then from there, once they've selected their slot, they then start building up their basket and then go on to checkout. And what was really interesting is the customers who went through that second flow actually had a higher conversion. So there was something happening there that, hmm. you know, was providing a better experience for them. And what my team then wanted to do was understand what that meant for those first cohorts. So if we could take that insight and we could test whether customers that were, you know, following the first flow if we got them and prompted them to select their delivery slot up front, would they have the same outcome? So really wow. interesting test based on some data and it told us some awesome um, information. Not only did it achieve an increase in our checkout performance, which is absolutely great and that's what we were aiming to do. But in addition to that, it started to tell us some the, you know, insights around the experience and potentially alluding to why that was.
1: Can I ask why? What the hell was going on? I find that fascinating.
0: So I think there's a couple of things. Um, My one perspective is that, you know, when you go through all the effort of creating your basket, and obviously grocery shopping, it does take a bit of time, and then you go into your delivery slot, by that point, you've probably created your shop based on when you want the delivery to happen. But if you manage your expectations straight up front and you know what is available, you might change what you're shopping for. So you might right. think, okay, I need this tomorrow, so I'll pop to the shop so I won't include that. So that disappointment might change. And that that's, to me, that's something that we need to validate with some uh, qualitative insights. But what we also saw was there was a reduction in unavailable items. So when you select a delivery slot, we then localize where you're shopping from. So what that means is any available right. items, then... You're able to see that up front. So again, increasing your customer experience. And then you can also make decisions based on that as well. So you can potentially choose other substitutions yourself that might suit you better. So there was a couple of really interesting mm. um, bits of insight that came from that. And to Nima's point, absolutely, you you start with a you want to be able to you know drive an increase in conversion. But you can do that through some really interesting customer experiences and understanding the behavior of your customer and leaning into what they're probably telling you already, that path of least resistance that's sitting out in front of you.
1: Did you redesign the site's user flow as a result, or are you still testing, or
0: what was the takeout? So rather than redesigning everything, we probably wanted to lean into a bit of a, a minimal viable product, and so we came up with a test that kind of prompted the user as they started building their basket to consider selecting their slot and use different tactics to see if we're able to do that. And that's definitely an easier way for us to do it than re- redoing the entire site. Uh, what we did is we did the initial experiment and then we shared that with the product managers and we're working with them to understand what that means for the future of uh, the product in, it. in its entirety. So a really interesting test and, you know, not the last one that we'll probably do within that
1: space. Yeah, really interesting. So Nima, just out of interest, what function owns experimentation? Is it primarily marketers?
2: Well, Paul, I'm glad you asked me that question. Mm. Um, in the report that we've just done uh-huh. uh, around the maturity index, it's quite broken. There's no one entity that owns it. You could see that you know, close to 40% is still heavily in the marketing side around the acquisition cost or trying to drive acquisition. More and more as product teams start to formulate, there's about 39% of companies where experimentation sits within the product team. So the product manager is responsible as part of the The product now product could be a part of the funnel could be the overarching experience but the product managers are responsible for experimentation there's only a small percentage about 13 percent where the RD teams right controversial yeah are involved in experimentation and the reason why i'm saying it's controversial is because it's a unique way of looking at experimentation as a customer insights tool rather than an outcome whether it's a conversion outcome or a product feature validation outcome it's very much around understanding customer, which is quite a unique and I would say really exciting area for experimentation to start kind of blossoming.
1: Yeah, well, it kind of makes sense too, but I guess that you've got territory overlap between R&D and research and insights, and then you've got data and analytics, and, and some of those teams might have a bit of duplication. But anyway, the fact is that it's happening. I just want to clarify, you said one thing earlier on, and it just reminded me, essentially what we're seeing is... A-B testing experimentation was first really, really done in media, right? Mm. And then it's now broadening out to broader part of the enterprise, product, customer experience, CX, Correct. the whole thing, customer service. That's what's happening.
2: Yeah. Because media people got sick of working in media and they branched into into more robust stuff like product design and so forth. And you see- Well, that was you, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Didn't you start in media? I'm actually talking yeah, that's about how...
2: myself. I'm giving myself shit <laughs> self-deprecating humor, right? <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So a lot of those guys who get frustrated in media and they're like, I want to go on the other side of it. And that's how, how this kind of stuff you know, emanates out, kind of like COVID. You just need one sick person to infect others.
1: We've got a bunch of territory to cover and running out of time. Surprise, surprise. I wanted to ask you, before we get into a couple of the key findings in this report you've done with about, I think, 300 marketers. We'll get to that in a sec. Mm. We were talking earlier, Neiman, you, you have this view that this idea of personalization has usurped experimentation. And that's not always a good thing. What are you talking about there and why?
2: Okay, so this is controversial and some of you will love it and others of you who won't. And if you don't like it, I don't care, here it comes.
1: Because it's down to confirmation bias. If you're in personalization, you won't like it, I guess is what's going to happen.
2: No, no, no. Let, let, I'm going to call bullshit right on something. Fundamentally, to put in a personalization program costs money, it costs time and costs money. And the tech vendors, it costs a lot to implement those things. Technology raises raises all other things. So the tech guys invest in the conversations they want clients to take if they want to take them to the ceo or the CMO. so personalization became this this buzzword you know media pushed it the technology companies pushed it and so the conversation became very topical about hyper personalization and person so personalization no doubt is important but if you think about personalization at a very basic level personalization is about a context and content so a group of people who have something similar or an individual. In which I understand the context of why they're shopping or why they're here. And then I present them content that's relevant to the context of why they're here. So if I go onto a site and I need new sneakers and you show me a jumper contextually, there might be some similarities, but it's not what I'm looking for, right? So personalization is you're looking for shoes, I show you shoes. You're looking for sneakers, I show you sneakers. Hey, and if I know you like Nike, I show you Nike sneakers. Bang, personalized, right? Content, context, right? Where that content sits on a page, you can imagine a web page is a very long thing, where it sits on a page, what it looks like, how it's messaged and presented to me, where it is in my journey, whether it's on the home page or you know down on a PDP page, all of these things have nothing to do with personalization, everything to do with experimentation. So what happens is you create this wonderful container that contextually connects and the content is really relevant, but where it sits, what it looks like does not resonate. And the challenge is experimentation is not expensive to do or implement. Experimentation is actually quite cheap if you compare it to personalization. It's quite cheap. And so the money is in personalization. The
1: technology is cheap or the implementation is cheap or both?
2: Technology is cheap. You could get Google optimized tomorrow for free. You run five experiments. It's a pretty good tool. It's not for the mature hearted, but it's a good beginner's tool, right? Experimentation is cheap. It's cheap. And so for the tech guys, it doesn't benefit them to talk to you about it. It benefits them to talk about personalization. And so that's the conversation that's been going on, personalization, personalization. But if you personalize something, where do you stick them into? You stick them into a funnel. That funnel from homepage to checkout, you have to make sure that that funnel works really well. All the friction points are removed, the logical positioning of all the CTAs, and the, all that stuff is actually optimized so that when you drive more users in because now you're context and content is more connected and you drive more people in, they get to the end of the funnel in the most efficient way and they transact. Right. But this is what's happened. Everyone's gone to personalization and forgot experimentation. And so what happens is you're now contextually more relevant and you're now directly presenting content that makes them want to click through. And when they click through they go to a funnel that's broken. So instead of pissing off five people, you're now pissing off five hundred people. Because you're now driving more relevancy into that funnel. But the funnel isn't built to convert. And so if there's one thing that I want to argue out there is I'm not saying is not right. All I'm saying is you need both of them to work together to drive the business outcomes that everyone's promising you.
1: Really interesting points, Fallon, yeah. Oh,
0: I wanna disagree with Nima and, and disagree quite heavily on this. Are What's really- going on today? I disagree that everybody is doing that. I 100% align with what you're talking about, and I think there is a substantial amount of people that align to that. And I I personally, whether I get shut down for it or not, I'm right there with you, Nima. So
1: you agree with personalization, usurping, experimentation, and that's not a good thing. You buy that. You're in solidarity there.
0: I absolutely am, which means I'm just disagreeing on the fact that he's alone in that thinking because I think he's he's definitely not alone. Oh, good, good. 'Cause I'm yeah. like, what's going on today? <laughs> yeah. You got a fan base. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I I am. Right.
1: But you can see, Fallon, you can see how it's tempting for people to go with personalization, though. It, it's a concept that gets it's got buy in, it's broad understanding, and it sort of intuitively.
2: I'd be a rich man if I had a dollar for every person who said the CEO wants to log on and see the harbor bridge when he's in Sydney, wants to see the harbour or she wants to see the harbor bridge on the homepage, I'd be a fucking rich man. I get that comment so many times. And then when you say, why, how does that make you money? And they're like, because it's relevant. And you're like, that's great, but you don't make your money on your homepage, right? You make it through that funnel, right? So just because I put the image of, of Sydney Harbour, but your funnel's broken, is that what you really want or is it just to satisfy the executive? And then they stop and they go, yeah, I'm just satisfying the executive.
1: Just to be clear, though, the, when you say the funnel's broken, is that because the tech stack and the organization isn't aligning and is not working it properly? No. When you say the funnel's no, broken, what no, do you mean?
2: no. Listen to Fallon's example, right? They've designed a funnel, and in that design, there's just one element that she found that if you get someone to put their time of delivery up front, your conversion rates are better. Right. It's no one's fault. It's just it's a complex design to design these funds. It's super complex.
1: Oh, and that's not personalization. That's an experiment that came good. That's
0: an experiment. We also want to start unpicking maybe some customers have a reason for wanting to put the delivery stop up front, and, and maybe there's an opportunity to personalize that. And I think the first thing and the most overarching thing that Nima's is saying is let's experiment with that. So before we go with the personalized decision, how do we validate that that is the right thing to do in the right moment? And I can't help but think you're using some examples. But to me, the company that, you know, stands out when we talk about personalization is Amazon. I don't know if you guys think Mm -hmm. that. I'd probably say that's, you know, one of the first brands that popped to mind when we talk about personalization. And from my understanding, they've been running A-B tests throughout their entire inception of personalization. So they initially used personalization and conducted A-B testing to prove the value But now it's standard practice to run A-B tests to prove the effectiveness of new models as well. So they're continuously proving out what they do, where it fits and how they're doing it. They do personalization throughout their customer journeys, but they then continue to validate whether, you know, new models and and new methodology is the right thing. And they use experimentation to actually define that. So I think right. it really is an opportunity. Personalization is huge. It's a huge investment. So you want to get it right and you want to be able to validate that the decisions you're making to leverage personalization, how you're doing it and where you're doing it, are absolutely worth the amount yep. of effort and cost.
1: Some really good points there. Can I ask, uh, Nimi, you just finished a report, I think, as I said, about 300 marketers, and we're going to get to some of those findings in a sec uh, in around experimentation. But one of the interesting things that, uh, that you raised is how Google is is now storming the market at the top end with its product Google Optimize I think and yeah. and Adobe and Optimizely yeah. Yeah. and I think you even mentioned maybe Salesforce has got some components but Correct. the whole ranking the dominance has flipped and Google's starting to own it what's going this is about the tech stack right this is about the technology that enables this stuff so what's going on there Yeah yeah
2: yeah that's right exactly right I can't answer for it but it's looking as you know, a few years ago, when we first started this report, there was a whole bunch of companies. So we said there's five stages that companies will go through um, as they move towards maturity, right? And in that in that discussion, as we were talking about those stages, we kind of saw there was three kinds of companies, right? There's a company who's initiating, then they move to building, and then they move to scaling. And then from scaling, they go to driving and maturing, right? So. You can initiating is like getting it set up, getting all the tools and things and then building.
1: This is in a context of experimentation,
2: right? This is all in the context of experimentation, right? So there's these stages that a company will go through and ideally driving is where every business decision is made through an experiment. Maturing is where your different departments are now using experimentation, you know, the operations guys and so forth. Uh, Scaling is where you're actually starting to scale the number of experiments. Building is you're actually starting to get the momentum and initiating is you're starting, Right. So a lot of about four years ago when we started this studying the market, the, the maturity index we called it, we started looking at like how is everyone doing their program? What's happening and what's not? Because we really wanted to as a as a company to understand how corporations are utilizing and what are their challenges that they face. At the time, Google um optimizely was just was everywhere. And the enterprise guys, it was always Adobe target. And still is. But as we're finding more and more companies coming into it, into experimentation, as more companies are starting to get into the initiation and building stage, more and more companies, I think, are leaning on proving the model by reducing the cost, which is why I say experimentation is actually cheap to begin. And I think that explains why, I mean, Google Optimize is now, like, ranking as the number one most used, followed by uh, Adobe and then Optimizely, which is mind-blowing if you think about you know, Optimizely created this category and they're probably, in my opinion, one of the best point products out there. But I think because it's free and the tool's getting better and better, I think it's interesting to see that they're starting to outrank everybody else from a technology set in its usage. What will be interesting to see is this partnership between Optimizely and Google uh, Google Cloud. So that's going to be interesting to see the outcome where- Why is
1: that important?
2: Well, it's interesting. I, I don't know what it means and I'm not going to make- I'm not an investor by any sense because one of the parts of the proposition is if you've got Google Cloud credits, you can use those credits towards your Optimizely account. So you can actually buy credits with Optimizely through your Google Cloud credits that you might have, right? Right. Which is a really interesting proposition. Why is Google offering that partnership to Optimizely? Because it's moving people into Optimizely rather than Google Optimize. So that's a really interesting paradigm of how that's working. And is that cannibalization purposeful? or is that cannibalization strategic, or is there something bigger at play that might eventuate in the years to come? It's an interesting one to see, but uh, fundamentally, technology-wise, it looks like the market's shifting towards Google Optimize, and it's it's a tech that we're starting to, us internally, we're starting to see more of, and we're starting to use as well, and start to build capabilities around.
1: What percentage of the market, let's get to some of those key findings in the report, right, because we've got some territory, the top themes that came through in this. Was it three hundred marketers? I keep saying that. Is it? Am I pulling the right number there?
2: So it's two hundred and fifty marketers. We went out to three hundred. We had two hundred and fifty come back to us. So okay. can say three hundred. Yeah.
1: Creative license from a journalist.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So some of the big key themes that that's really come out is the growth and maturity. Way more companies are now in experimentation than there were three to four years ago.
1: 50%? Is it 50%, 51% or something?
2: It's around about it's around about 46% of companies now. So you can right. creative license that one as well. It's about 50% <laughs> Thank you. I get into experimentation. In, interesting. like there's not a lot of people talk about it. I think we're getting to that point of saturation. I remember going back years ago and I'd look for people with CRO in their title or experimentation in their title on LinkedIn and no one had it. And now if you go through, like every second person is, something to do with experimentation or personalization. So interestingly, we're seeing a really big growth in the practice of experimentation across companies. One common trend that we're seeing is people within the, when they hit the building and scaling space of their maturity curve, a lot of companies are falling over, close to 36% of companies are falling over. They don't know how to take the next step. And what is the common theme that we're seeing here is two major common themes. They don't have executive buying so they started the program by looking at lipstick metrics. And I call them lipstick metrics because they're, lip- they're metrics that matters to the person who started the program. They don't matter to the executive. The board doesn't sit there in their board paper and go, look at our bounce rates this week. They don't really give a shit about bounce rates. I was going
1: to ask, what is a lipstick metric? Like, what does it look like,
2: bounce rates? So a lipstick metric is anything that is to do with the asset itself, not the higher order conversation. So the higher order conversation is transaction rates, average order ticket, depending on the business that you're in, right? Because your executives are looking at sales rates and sales from a sort of digital channel stores or whatever it might be. So your metrics need to ladder from top, come back down into the actual activities that you're running as an experiment so that when you deliver results, it's of interest to the board. Why do you want the board to be interested? Because their board will release funds for you to hire more people. Why the 36% of companies are getting stuck at that scaling stage. They can't get more people. For two reasons. One, there's a resource restraint in the market at the moment. And two, they can't get funding for FTEs to be able to put more people onto it. So they're all seeing benefits out of it. The cost of entries come down, but still. It needs people to run these programs, and they just haven't found the right structures to run these programs to get the funding that they need. It does seem,
1: Nima, that we have a parallel uh, universe in MarTech with implementation, deployment, resource, using the product and using it well with efficacy. There's similar problems here to experimentation. Is that a fair observation from someone who doesn't know anything?
2: I think so. I think for someone who doesn't know anything, you're very eloquent, but I don't think that the learning curve is as steep. When you look at right. things like personalization being topical, you know you need data people, you need technical people, whereas here you don't need as much of those things as some of the other programs. So I think the barrier to entry from a cost perspective and given Google Optimize is really rising, I think that's kind of fading away. The real challenge is around how to set these programs up correctly so that they, the momentum continues and you don't get stuck at one point being scaling or that you run out of test ideas because you haven't got the right frameworks in place. I think a lot of it comes down to not understanding how to set up the program correctly, not setting up the right frameworks uh, and not getting buy-in as you continue the story and build your momentum. That's the common theme that I'm seeing in this report.
0: And I think to make it maybe more palatable is I want to phrase that into thinking about where you are in that maturity journey and then framing Mm -hmm. it at each of those stages because you don't want to be setting up the most perfect program think about when you're landing it, what is important to the stakeholders, to your executive leadership team and how do you start working towards that in a really, you know, take the first step but work towards what it means to scale up and then you start to probably push yourself a little bit more, and then as you start to mature, you can then really start to unpick those uh, the capability a little bit more, what the program should and shouldn't be doing, the metrics that you're laddering up to, and how you're actually going to start, you know, leaning in on those and start aligning to those metrics. Because, yeah, if you're really starting out on the journey, it can you know be quite an insurmountable task. So, where
1: are you on the maturity cycle? And I'm just interested in your day to day. Where are you spending your time and is it all just on the Coles website or is it broader than that? But what does your day-to-day look like in in running the experimentation team?
0: So we've been on an interesting journey. I probably want to say that we're in the building to scaling maturity part of our journey. Interesting in the sense that experimentation or A-B testing, to put it as Nima did, we've probably been doing that for probably about six years. But I think it was in isolation and really focused on your CRO just trying to uplift and drive your conversion rate and not pressure testing you know, the metrics that are above those and what we were aiming for and not leaning into the, the customer experience. Say over the last year, we've actually pivoted and we've started thinking about experimentation as a whole. And we still lean into a bit of CRO, but we also look at some CXO as well. And I think that's where the majority of our program is aiming to achieve. For those
1: not aware, CXO being what?
0: Customer experience optimization. (laughs) Good. And then we're also leaning into how we support the product team with, you know, some of the product quality metrics. So how do we make sure that the guardrail metrics that we've got in place and what impact and negative impact some of the ideas could have on on some of the broader metrics across the website, really thinking about more holistically about the program. But I think the first or well, the last year, should I say, we've really been thinking about what it looks like at Coles, what we want to be achieving and what we're aiming for, and then starting to deliver that program. And so the focus for the year is getting the right resources and bums on seats Uh, Thinking about our process and how that aligns to what our product managers and our marketing teams are doing and starting to just dip our toe in the water, thinking about where we want to get to, but let's take the first step. Let's make sure all of the tagging, implementation, etc. is right and where we need it to be. And I think what we're really excited for is is how we shift change that in the new financial year. And and we're hoping to obviously stop pushing that scaling it out and driving more experimentation across the wider e business, potentially the wider Coles mm. business, and thinking about what impact that can have across not only conversion rate, experience, and product quality as an example.
1: Yeah, really interesting. I, I asked um, Nima earlier whether experimentation function sits primarily, where does it sit for you? Are you in marketing? Are you in analytics? Where does uh, experimentation sit at Coles?
0: So at the moment, we've got a focus on product but right. as I said, we do support and, and my team do lean into supporting the wider business. So um, we we do lean into support marketing and our ambition is to get there. But I think, like I said, think about what you want to achieve initially and make it sizable because, you know, you don't want to aim too low, but achievable at the same time. So we're really focused on our product and what we can do to support our product teams. And I think we as a business are, are really focused on personalization as well. But there is an understanding and a belief that experimentation is core to that personalization strategy as well. And that touches across marketing and our product teams as well.
1: CRO or conversion rate optimization. That sits where, what function, what department?
0: At the In moment, product. we're supporting the product team with some conversion rate optimization, yeah. um, thinking about okay. what we can do to improve the, the conversion rate and some basic tactics for our product to drive some revenue within that. But as I said to you, we balance that with some really strong CXO ideas and focuses as well. And I think uh, this is my romanticized idea, right? That you want to be able to have the capability stretch across all of those remits. And I think it's about time that we start crossing over those silos and we get rid of those silos because the biggest opportunity lies across all of us, all of us coming together. Nima, you know, talks passionately about the ideas intercepting and that convergent validity and that comes from great minds with different levels of experience coming together to pull those ideas together and mm. allow us to test these new ways that hopefully align to all of our business objectives so something I'm really passionate about whether I'll get that you know over the line is a different story but let's see how we go
1: one more side felon is you know in terms of experimentation and, and the teams that are in experimentation what is typically their capabilities? Where do they come from? What What is an experimentation person? Where do they come from? Where do they build their craft and their understanding of all this?
0: Yeah. I'd love to have Nima's view on this. If I was to look at my perspective of experimentation over the past, I don't know, eight, nine years that I've been involved in it, I think initially the capability, there was an understanding that you had your conversion rate or your CRO specialist, and they were a jack of all trades. They were able to pick it up and they were able to come up with a test idea, design it, um, build it, run it, analyze it, etc. I think what's really exciting is that, you know, that single point is evolving and changing. And I think what's really exciting for my team is we're leaning on a number of specialists to come in. So we've got an engineer dedicated to optimization and to building the experiments. We've got a strategist really pressure testing our hypothesis and our problem statements to make sure that, you know, we are achieving a very high um, standard. We've got analysts dedicated to it. Again, really pressure testing what it is that we need to analyze and not only your goal metrics, but as I said to you earlier, those guardrail metrics that we need to measure. And I think for me, it's really interesting and really exciting to not just lean on one individual. I think that we're doing an right. awesome job, but I think the ability to lean into all of these different skill sets allows us to increase the outputs. That's my perspective anyway.
1: We're going to wrap this up with a final call on what's next from both of you. What are the watchouts for the next year? Nemo, we'll to start with you, in terms of and what you see is going to happen, what the, how the market's going to behave uh, you know next year, next twelve to eighteen months, what do you see as the hotspots?
2: So I reckon we're going to see you know everyone's now saying they do experimentation in CRO so you, I, I think my prediction is there's going to be a lot of burnt fingers uh, in the market as more you know the biggest problem with this space is anyone can say anything, and people just seem to believe them because there's no barriers to entry right so I think as more companies are going, hey, we do cRO and hey, we're experimentation experts, I think you're going to find. A lot more cowboys in the category and a lot of clients who are new to the space getting their fingers burnt without getting any results but spending a lot of money. So I think that's going to really happen. My watch out to anyone who's listening is try and do your research. Look for how long they've been in market. Make sure they've got a point of view rather than saying buzzwords that makes it look interesting don't just buy from someone that you work on for something else doesn't mean that they know what they're doing in the space so my big watch out is watch your fingers i reckon this this is the year where a lot of people are going to get burnt. because it's
1: a growth category i assume it's
2: a growth category it happened with seo right everyone came in they're like seo seo and some people knew what it was and they jumped on it and then google became what it became and then everyone's like we should do seo then we talked about black hat there's all these companies doing fraudulent stuff a lot of companies had some huge impacts because of it. And then all of a sudden, the category re-rationalized itself. And then we got into companies from overseas calling up saying, I can do SEO free. We're going through the same cycle with experimentation and CRO. There's a lot of companies now. I mean, I've you know, been in the category for a long time. There's a lot of companies who didn't exist or didn't say they do experimentation. And then wham, bam, a year later, all of a sudden, they're experts in experimentation because they hired a guy who read a book experimentation for dummies, right. and now is an experimentation expert. And the biggest problem is who do they learn on? They learn on the client's website. And who do, who pays the money and and, lo- and creates all the opportunities? It's the client. So all I would say is as the market ramps up and there's more demand in this category growing and we're seeing that growth with Google Optimize starting to increase in popularity, what's going to happen is a lot of people who don't know what they're doing, they're going to use the client's budget to experiment and learn, and the only person who's really going to get burnt uh, ultimately is the client. So watch your fingers, watch your toes it's a uh, scorching season
1: hey so and what about where will the enterprise level or companies focus in terms of experimentation will it stay around ux and web or, or where do you think yep. the, where's that going
2: well fallon's probably best to answer i'll give you my feeble attempt at this but um, i think if the enterprise companies look telcos and our banks have been prominent in the space they've owned this space for a long time they've been doing it for at least seven years uh, at minimum Uh, a lot of those guys are now looking at experimentation beyond just the website. So they're looking at different channels, uh, different locations, and they're also exploring other opportunities of experimentation. Like we talked about call center reduction, Mm. um, self-service through customers. So they're really starting to use that word much more expansively than just looking at a conversion event occurring. So, I think the enterprise guys will start to explore not only other departments running experiments, but also looking at the integration between CRM, CRO, personalization, CRO. So really around those cross-channel activities will become much more popularized into enterprise level where they, they've they built the structure, they understand the processes, uh, and they've got the scale to do it.
1: And who will have the momentum on experimentation inside the company? We talked earlier about which functions is it marketing and beyond that set of owning that.
2: Product, product's gonna own this baby. Right. Product's gonna start owning it. I think product guys, as more companies move towards this agile product mentality, you know, where they break up the funnel into product teams or squads, I think those guys are gonna own it. The centralized model is really good as a starting point. Uh, and more and more companies are moving towards a decentralized or hybrid model as their experience grows. Centralized is a great starting point, but I think more of these organizations that have been doing it for three to five years, they're asking the questions around how we scale this. So they will start looking at their model, they will look at a more decentralized model, they will start looking at their squad leads or product owners um, to start adopting it as a way of working. And then you'll have those key people within the centralized team becoming central to ensuring that that those teams or those product managers across the company are communicating, they're sharing ideas. They're also making sure that those experiments aren't colliding because they sit inside the funnel. So one person who sees one test can't see another. So those tests aren't colliding. They become those center of excellence around making sure that The organization as a whole is working collaboratively and and delivering really great results. That's where I see it going for the enterprise guys. The smaller guys, I think they're learning how to scale. They're learning how to build the proposition out. They're the ones at most risk, in my opinion.
1: Fallon, do you um, buy all that from Nima? And what's your sense on what's next, um, either with your organisation or just more broadly with experimentation?
0: Surprisingly, I do actually agree with Nima.
2: Breakthrough, Nima, <it. laughs> <laughs> breakthrough.
0: I yeah, got it. <laughs> I think absolutely, there's an opportunity for you know anybody entering the market to get burnt, and and they need to be careful with entering and you know going gung ho with it, but. For those of us, and obviously there's a lot of businesses that have been doing it for a lot longer and are really leaning into how do we scale this. And to Nima's point about integrating into the product, that's the biggest question we have at the moment. And that's something that we're going to experiment with in our own space as well. So as you scale, it's not necessarily about just growing that team. It's really about starting to embed the culture into the team. It's about trying to allow champions across the building and across the business to really start to have that scientific method of experimenting and starting to kind of roll that out within all of their channels, within their product and core to their thinking, core to driving um, their product roadmaps um, and taking their business and their products forward. So I think it's a really interesting and exciting opportunity, but I'm curious to see how it goes. So. Yeah, that scaling one is is something for me that I, I'm quite keen on exploring within our space and, and seeing how that progresses.
1: Yeah, so the scaling bit, I was just going to ask, so to Nima's point where, you know, a lot of uh, larger enterprises are looking to take it beyond the website, is that on your radar?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Can you see it going elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, we're probably going to scale in different ways. So how do you also start thinking about other parts of the web? So at the moment, we're predominantly focused on front end. So starting to think about how we experiment server side is is where we're shifting from a website perspective as well. And then as we start thinking about, you know, the rest of the funnel and, you know, integrating across the entire customer journey. Uh, for us, omni-channel is a huge one. And I think um, starting to think about how we experiment within the store and, and across both store and digital is something really exciting and something that I think, you know, we want to start dipping our toes into. And to Nima's point about personalization as well, that's where I think personalization really lends itself well to the retail environment. And, and I think experimenting within that and within, you know, omni-channel experiences is really Interesting.
1: Well, I think that I'll be back in six months to test um, where all these predictions go and um, look forward to that. But um, Nima Yassini fell in love, great to talk. Um, I actually know more than I did before we started, so a net, net gain for me. Thanks for joining. Likewise, mate. Thank you. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer.